2022. Welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. My name is Keith, and this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and to see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see ourselves. All right, so, man, basically, day 222, we're starting the book of Hosea. So the book of Hosea is the first of the 12 minor prophets. And basically, the minor prophets, or what people have historically called the book of the 12 are 12 different prophetic books that used to all be one book or on one scroll, right? And so they're called the minor prophets, not because they're less important than Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Jeremiah, but simply because they're shorter, right? (laughs) And you'll see that um, as we finish out. And this is the last section of the Old Testament, which is crazy. Um, But they all have a unique message, all have a uh, potent message, and they're all prophesying against uh, both Israel and Judah, depending on the book. So Hosea, for example, is prophesying to the northern kingdom of Israel. And basically he prophesies to them about the fall of uh, Samaria. And that would come in 722 BC. Samaria is the capital of Jerusalem in this time. And he's prophesying to them. And basically his message is this. Hosea is going to marry an unfaithful woman named Gomer to symbolically portray God's relationship with unfaithful Israel. So verse two is going to say this. When the Lord first spoke to Hosea, he said this to him, go and marry a woman of promiscuity and have children of promiscuity for the land is committing blatant acts of promiscuity by abandoning the Lord. We obviously see the word that is used over and over and over. But basically, again, God's relationship with Israel is compared to a marriage, right? He has covenanted with an unfaithful bride. And because the prophets perform, again, these prophetic sign acts where they act out their message, Hosea literally has to go marry Gomer, right? And he literally here acts out this message and marries a woman known for promiscuity. And now he has three kids, right? He has, he doesn't, so he doesn't just get married. One man don't get married. He has a family, fam. Like, and this is so crazy. Like, we are so, we would be so anti, right? So I think of, um, if some of you don't know, uh, they don't go to Cornerstone. This is a guy named Matthew Hudson. He goes to Cornerstone. And basically, he's like a, uh, you know, he's like a man, social media comedian, really funny dude. And he posts really like edifying, uh, comedy but it's all like christian right and so he has this one like video where he's acting like he's in heaven and he meets hosea right and he's like yo he's like yo hosea <laughs> he said hey you a real one my boy right he's like you a real one he's like because that that ain't me he's like that i would have told god that ain't my purpose right but he's really just making a joke but he's but it's really real though like hosea really did marry a prostitute and have kids with her and so jezreel Lo Ami and Lo Ruhama, right? And these are his three kids. Jezreel, which means God sows. This is the place that God is going to predict a defeat for his people. So that's why he names his first one Jezreel. Then Lo Ami, which means uh, Lo Am and then Mi means not my people in Hebrew. And so uh, God's people were really his people, but they were acting like they weren't. And then Lo Ruhama which means no compassion. Their continual rejection of God has forfeited his love. And so Hosea's life is a parable for God and Israel. And we'd be so against this, but God has just shown how serious it is uh, by comparing it to a marriage. Chapter two, 
And so in the second chapter, he moves from being simply symbolic to being direct, right? So here he will expand, right, the theme that grew out of the meaning behind Hosea's marriage. So he's going to say this, she, talking about God's people, does not recognize that it is I who gave her the grain, the new wine, the fresh oil. I lavished her. I lavished silver and gold on her, which they use for Baal. One of the things the Lord will come back to over and over is the fact that in Hosea specifically, they worshiped a Canaanite God named Baal. Right. And here the Lord is saying the very things I gave you, you used in service to a God other than me. This would be like a spouse. Right. Buying a home. Right. And yeah, bringing another spouse, getting married, having a spouse and then the spouse using it for someone else. Right. And so he's going to say, yo, I will put an end to all her celebrations, her feasts, new moons and Sabbaths, all her festivals. And God said it in Isaiah and he says it here. God does not share. Right. Like he he doesn't like allow you to like this ain't an open relationship. Right. He's like, you can't have one foot in the holy temple and the other in the house of a pagan God. And one of the things Israel tried to do, like many of us, was worship God and the surrounding deities at the same time, right? And once we put that and in there, we are doomed for trouble. They try to do both. God doesn't accept Israel's worship in the form of these festivals, right? Because he's like, yo, it's not just for me, right? We were made to worship one God in the same way we were made to be with one person, right? And so he would go on and say, yo, Israel forgot me, right? Like they, they, they forgot me. They forgot and this is why, yo, I did, this is why I'm going to do what I'm going to do, right? They forgot the Lord. And anytime, man, like I'm here to say, like anytime we sin, anytime we go astray, it is fundamentally because even if for a moment we forget God, we forget who he is, we forget how good he's been, we forget how far he's brought us. And Israel's problem, yeah, it's often our problem too. Back half of chapter two. Basically, he's going to talk about how he's going to woo them back in. And remember, the prophets are going to talk about judgment and restoration. So he's going to talk about this restoration here. And what we see is like, yo, like at the end of the day, God is going to restore the relationship with them. But he's like, yo, at the end of the day, your relationship with God is always predicated on his endless pursuit of you rather than your pursuit of him. And that's what he's just getting at. He's like, yo, I'm going to restore you. I'm going to do this. I'm going to bring you back. I'm, 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 I'm going to remove your idols. All these things. He is the active agent in the restoration. Finally, three and four, um, the metaphor continues to run throughout Hosea three as well, where, um, you know, she's going to go or, uh, Gomer's going to go to uh, be with another man. And, uh, Hosea for whatever reason is going to have to purchase her back. And again, this is, uh, all meant to point us to the way God um, pursues us and that he redeems us. And that is like f that is um, economic language used with that where he purchases us. The New Testament will say that God is going to purchase us. Christ will purchase us with his own blood. And then in verse four, it'll say this for the Israelites must live many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar and without ephod or household idols. Afterward, the people of Israel will return and seek the Lord, their God and David, their king. They will come with awe to the Lord and to his goodness in the last days. God, as a result of wooing his people back in with his unconditional love, will say that his people will return. They will seek a David like figure and that they will be in awe of him in the last days. I said it before on the podcast. Um, this phrase in the last days literally refers to 
most likely or most times it refers to um, the coming of Jesus. And so the prophet is going to use this phrase in the last days, in the last days, in the last days, this will happen. And it's talking about the coming of Christ. And sometimes it talks about the end of history. But here it's talking about the coming of Christ, a Davidic Messiah. And we just see this messianic uh, expectation, the expectation of a good and faithful king that will help his people walk in obedience. Hosea 4. And basically we get. Um, just clarity around what the people of God were doing. So verse two, cursing, lying, murder, stealing, and adultery are all rampant. One act of bloodshed follows another. And this is a clear sign that like, yo, um, Israel came out of Egypt and they got the 10 commandments. And this is clearly right. A breaking of every single commandment that God had gave them. They didn't just, you know, not neglect to do one they shattered it right they shattered all of god's commands and broke them uh endlessly and he will follow this up and say like yo my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge right because you have rejected knowledge i will reject you from serving as my priest since you have forgotten the law of your god i will also forget <clears throat> your sons once again <clears throat> Another neglect of the law, the law, the Torah, the first five books of Moses, the people of God were to obey them. That was their Bible. And the main thing Hosea is saying here, he's like, yo, you guys neglected God's word. And when we neglect God's word and when he's revealed, right, our hearts are prone to cling to another God. Right. That's the basic. Like when we would neglect what God has said, our hearts are set up in such a way where we will cling to another God that is not the God of Israel. Right. And whatever it may be, that is the nature of human nature. Right. To worship somebody or something. And we know this is the case. Like Jose is going to say, um, just like Israel, we know this is the case when our ethics begin to slide. Right. When our be like when our obedience begins to slide in Israel. The point he's trying to make is Israel, like us, doesn't have a behavior problem. Fundamentally, they had a worship problem. Right. And yeah, I'm just here to say today, man, like if you find yourself in a place where it's hard to obey um, the word of God to think and do the things God has called you to do. Man, it's probably because your heart is set on something or someone else. And I just pray that. Man, our hearts and our eyes will be set on God. So let's pray that. And Father, I ask that you would help us to set our hearts and our minds and affections on you, Lord. Um, because when we don't, our hearts are prone to cling to something else. That's the way you built us. Um, and as St. Augustine would say, um, you've made us for yourself. And our hearts 